This is Graham Wardle. Mark Friesen. This is Marty Up North. This is Alex Craner. I'm Rupa Subramania. This is Tom Luongo, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Thursday. How's everybody doing? We got, uh, well, we got an interesting one today. And before we get there, how about we get to Silver Gold Bull. They're North America's premier precious metals dealer with uh, state-of-the-art distribution centers in Calgary and Las Vegas. They ensure fast, fully insured, discreet shipping right to your doorstep. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift, gift I don't know. Do people, you know, I've been, I've been wondering this. If I bought my wife a lump of whatever, would she be happy about that, ladies? I, serious question. I'm actually don't know the answer to that. I know as a, as like sitting on my side, if I woke up and in my stocking there was a package from Silver Gold Bull, I'd be pretty happy. I don't know. Maybe that's, is that men versus women? I don't know. You tell me. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. They offer a diverse set of services including buyback, wholesale, register, savings, IRA accounts, RRSP, and TFSA, as well as storage and refining solutions. You can trust them to elevate your precious metals investment journey with unrivaled expertise and unparalleled convenience. Your prosperity and security are top priority, making Silver Gold Bull the go-to choice for all your precious metal needs. Stocking stuffers, gift presents, gift presents. That, that doesn't make any sense. Anyways, silvergoldbull.ca, you know what I mean. Alan Huco, Cactus Environmental. They've been in business for almost 30 years, providing environmental consulting, assessment, and monitoring for pre-construction, construction, construction, reclamation, and spills. Cactus Environmental is a local supplier for EM surveys, lets electromagnetic, as well as phase ones, twos, and threes. And if you haven't met Alan before, Alan is like, man, Alan's a freaking beauty. I I assume, um, you know, in my dealings with Alan, uh, where I've seen him over the course of what, what has it been, Alan? Maybe, Maybe two years? Maybe three? I don't know anymore. He is uh, salt of the earth. So if you're looking for salt of the earth when it comes to uh, look uh, a local supplier for uh, electromagnetic surveys, as well as phase ones, twos, and threes, give him a call, 306-821-7541. I won't steer you wrong on this one, I promise. Alan.cactus at sastel.net if you're looking to email him, all right? Now let's get on that tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. She hosts the Tammy Peterson podcast. She's a public speaker and a cancer survivor. I'm talking about Tammy Peterson. So buckle up. Here we go. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today I'm joined by Tammy Peterson. So first off, ma'am, thanks for uh, hopping on. My pleasure. Thanks for dealing with my technical issues. You know, normally I'm like, if somebody comes on, I'm like, oh yeah, we got all the time in the world. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, <laughs> this morning, I'm having I'm having a day. So uh, I appreciate you bearing with me because normally um, I'm sitting here and I'm just like, everything's ready to roll. But uh, today I'm getting thrown a curveball. So appreciate you coming on and doing this. Uh, now, I mean, when it comes to your husband... I got, uh, you know, the podcast in, in its weird way started because I read his book and started listening to his re- lectures and a whole bunch of different things. And along that path, I started listening to a bit of your stuff. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is this is very, very interesting. Um, but I don't, you know, I've read a, a ton and I've listened to a ton, but I actually don't know much of your story, Tammy. Um, and I was hoping you could share a little bit with us this morning. Okay. So... 
My story starts probably most dramatically after Jordan became public. Uh, we went on tour and about halfway through the tour, oh no, it was probably about at, at the end of the tour. I had gone carnivore in January and I was looking forward to going on a walking tour with my sister in Croatia in May, but I had arthritis in my knees and I asked her if we could go on a walking tour for 70 year olds because I was feeling like I wasn't going to be able to climb any mountains. And um, my daughter got a hold of me and she said, you know, mom, I gave up the rest of the plants that we were eating. I'm only eating meat and my arthritis is going away. And I thought, what do I have to lose? I actually had arthritis in my wrists and my knees, so I couldn't do anything or go anywhere. But didn't it, it seem, good. you know, it's funny because I've just started on the carnivore diet. Didn't, okay. it, didn't, didn't it seem like counterintuitive to everything you've learned up until that point? We're just going to eat Absolutely. meat? Absolutely. We have been, we have been told, I mean, I can remember drawing and coloring in school, the food pyramid with all the grains at the bottom and a tiny little bit of meat at the top. You know, of course, that was all the Department of Agriculture. It had nothing to do with health. It had to do with selling grain. We've been duped for a long time in many, in many different ways. And this is one of them. And this is catastrophic. I mean, the number of people I could go on and on the number of people who are obese and uh, have uh, metabolic syndrome and chronic disease and it's all from eating way too many carbs, way too many carbs. Because I imagine, I just imagine, just for a second, I imagine that we are um, living in the woods or on the prairie or something. We're going to shoot whatever animals we can find to eat. Uh, we're going to fish whatever fish we can find in, in the water. And we're going to eat whatever berries are on the trees and whatever roots we can find in the ground. And that's all. We're not going to have any more carbs than that. And that's about right. And, and we've gone way too far. You know, it's funny because we talk about manufacturing meat now and everybody's up in arms. Manufacturing meat? Oh, that's such a ludicrous idea. But we've been manufacturing carbohydrates for years and we've been celebrating it. You know, cheesies and potato chips and all this, all this stuff. It's all manufactured food. And we all were like, yeah, you know, let's watch a movie and eat all this manufactured food and never thought anything about it. Of course, it's caused a huge epidemic of obesity and chronic disease. But all of a sudden, everybody woke up when it was like, meat? We're going to manufacture meat? That sounds kind of weird. So finally, people, we've all woken up. I've woken up. Everyone's woken up. But um, well, I hope it makes a difference. Oh, I, but I, I can't, I, th I, I can't say I'm, I'm hopeful, really, to tell you. Really? Nah, not, I don't know. I've, I've traveled around a lot. And recently I went to Belfast and I found out they're planning to execute 200,000 cows for, for climate change in, you know, in the well, name of it, climate change. It has, it's crazy. Hasn't climate change become just another religion and that people are sacrificing yeah. everything towards? Well, think of that. We're, we're sacrificing cows for climate change. Doesn't that sound medieval? Yeah, well, it, 
it sounds like an alternate universe, Tammy. Honestly, you know, uh, I, uh -huh. I just I, I yeah. try and understand where we're at with some things, and uh, well, my brain cannot keep up some days, and and most days I just can't understand. You know, well, I, I think it's you know we've we've uh, because we have lost our our focus on the transcendent that people aren't being guided by from what's up above their intuition. We're finding other things that guide us, whether it's money or uh, prestige or your uh, or your spouse or saving the planet. It's all the same thing. It comes up as a multi-headed monster if it's not centrally God. Anyway, so we had gone on tour. <laughs> <laughs> we had gone on tour and uh, I was gonna go on a walking tour and I went on the walking tour and I did all right because by May my knees, I mean, two weeks after I went on the carnivore diet, my knees started to loosen. Yeah, three, three days on the carnivore diet, my knees have loosened. I'm like, oh, I've been interesting. like, I've been like, I can just feel it. Like I feel better. Like it's, it's weird. Yeah. It doesn't, Isn't it I'm, something? Yeah, it is something. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, things that you don't even know you're suffering from, you will find will go away. You know, you, you'll think, oh, I always had that, that. So yeah, I had a shoulder. I had bicep tendonitis from the time I was 17 years old. And I've never, I've never thrown a baseball overhand since I was a teenager. I've never been able to swim front crawl because that was too hard on my shoulder. It got to the point where uh, then I had arthritis in my wrists. I just gave up riding a bike completely. Uh, I was I had given up walking up hills or anything. So my world was getting smaller and smaller. I thought I was going to have to buy a house that had no stairs because that was getting very painful, especially to go downstairs. And all that went away. It's all gone. My mind is clear. My, my memory when I was 40, I was starting to look for words or I'd be in a conversation and I'd have a hard time following what was going on and that's all gone. And I'm 62, it's all gone. It's, it's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, uh, there's probably not a, a, a high enough word right now to stick to it. I, I did carnivore for 11 days back like a year ago, felt phenomenal. But then got really sick on day 11. Like day 11, I just got like this flu that lasted like three days in a row. Come oh, on. you know what that is though, right? No, I don't. What was that? That is, uh, hmm, I can't remember the name of it right now. But when you change from uh, a carbohydrate, a glucose diet, a glucose metabolism to a ketone metabolism, you can have a Herx, that's what it's called, a Herx reaction, which is a flu and your body is just going, wow, what are you doing? I was metabolizing glucose and now it's going to be fat. Just hold on here a minute. And so then your body just kind of puts the brakes on and is trying to deal with it. And you feel like hell. You just don't feel good. What? But that's a, that's a flu that goes from, if you go right from a North American diet to carnivore. See, I went from a North American diet. I gave up wheat and then I gave up gluten and then I gave up dairy. And then I gave up root vegetables. And then at the end, it was just salad. So I had no reaction. Well, that's, um, well, it was friends that actually, uh, we, we got talking about it. 
And uh, you know, we were talking about all these different fad diets. And I said, oh, yeah, I've actually tried a whole bunch of them. And none of them really stuck. But I'm like, carnivore, I'm like, I felt it. Like in 11 days, I've never felt that good until I got that sick. And they're like, well, why did you stop? And I'm like, well, because I got drastically sick. I just couldn't, I couldn't see up from down kind of thing. They're like, well, mm. did you read anything on it? And I'm like, well, no. It's like, what? Well, why didn't you put a little more effort into it, Sean? And so I went and bought some books on the carnivore diet, and I'm in the midst of that, and I started it back up because I'm like, you had something that worked so well, but you didn't carry on with it. And I find myself a year later having similar issues again with knees specifically, and uh, I still like to play hockey and everything else, and I, I find that I'm being, um, you know, uh, you talk about being, you know, the, whether or not you can go on a seven-year-old hiking trip. I'm only 37 in days. I feel like I'm, I'm way older than that, not mentally, just physically. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I started picked up books, and so now I'm, I'm starting to read into it because I want to understand it so I can get through whatever's coming uh, by switching so fast because, well, I mean, I'm only into day seven, I think, today. And like the knees feel fantastic. It's 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 so just predictable, you know, it's, or not predictable. I guess I'd gone through it once. It's just it's amazing. It's like yeah, my knees feel good. Like I, you know, it's, it's wild. But for all the things we've said, you know, Tammy, I I gotta ask. Um, I'd I'd seen uh, Jordan uh, on stage um, back when, you know, he was on his rise, I guess. I don't know. And then I saw him once at a theater and then I saw him once when he brought you to Roger's place. That would have been this summer, I believe. And, um, that was fantastic. So the the first time I saw him was fantastic. The second time I thought, it's almost like he's too polished now. Like this is, he's like getting very good at speaking, but it's almost lost some of its, uh, I don't know, his wanderings on stage. And then the third time you went on stage with him, and I, I, I guess I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, and maybe you want to go back, and, and I apologize um, if you want to tell okay. the entire story. But one of the things I have been searching for as a married man, as is people to almost emulate, like uh, as far as couples go, like marriages, like just seeing what a healthy marriage looks like. And what I saw in Edmonton that night, I'm like, wow. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's stories. I'm sure there's up and downs like every marriage. But when you two got up on stage and danced and then sat down and had this like uh, interaction um, with the q and I was like, that was that was something, honestly. It, it, mm-hmm. And I don't know how that comes to be. Maybe there's a whole series of things that happen in order for that uh, instance to occur. Um, but I, ha- I just have so many questions when it comes to married life, I guess. And I find when you two were on stage, I was like, huh, I feel like there's a ton to learn here. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I guess uh, just your initial thoughts on that. Well, that's that's interesting for you to, to say that. Um, because Jordan asked me to go on stage not not for any other reason except for Michaela had been, my daughter Michaela had been opening the shows and then she had a little girl, she had to go home. She was like, this is fun, dad, but I have other things to do. (laughs) And I had been there, right? I had been, I had gone on tour with him, even though I had, I wasn't going on stage. I worked as a logistics person. I made sure he got to the show and was fed and had a nap and hadn't done too many interviews so that he was, didn't have the energy for the show. You know, I, I made sure that everything went the way it had to, to get him on stage and get to the plane and like everything. I just made sure he was running right. And I did that for 250 shows. I sat in the theater for 250 shows. 
And so I think when my daughter decided that she didn't want to, and he turned to me, he'd seen somebody who'd been there the whole time, who'd done everything that came that needed to be done. And so it, it seemed like the next right thing to do. So he asked me and I wouldn't have said yes, but everything I'd been through up to that point had taught me that I had to be, mm, I had to be my best own advocate and I had to have courage and strength to do the things, to do the next right thing. And so, although I knew I'd never been on stage and I've been a terrible speaker because I get also self-conscious and not be able to remember what I had to say. Uh, I said, yes, because it was, well, when I was very ill, I prayed to God. I said, if you let me live, I promise I'll speak publicly. And I don't know why I, you know, I mean, I guess I was on tour with Jordan and he was speaking publicly and I wasn't saying anything. And so I thought somewhere inside me, I thought I need to speak publicly and, and I haven't. And that's maybe a sin that I've committed, a sin of omission that I have committed. And God, if you let, if you allow me to live, I promise that I'll uh, step up. And so when he asked me, I said, yes. And I ask for courage and strength before I get on stage. So I go out there. I, I review a, a rule in his book. doesn't matter which rule. I just review a rule that speaks to me that day. And then I think about my life and what's happening in my life at the moment. And then I go up on stage and talk about it. And I, that seems, and, and it's local, right? It's a local story. And when he gets up on stage, it's more philosophical, more religious, uh, psychological. It's not, it's not a local story. And so I think that we play off each other. We didn't know that would happen, but we play off each other. And then in the Q and a people liked, people started to tell him in the meet and greet, yeah, it's really, it's really good to see you both on stage. And we thought, oh, well, we didn't know that was going to be part of this. We, that wasn't even in our minds that that was going to be important, but everyone told us, yeah, you know, there's something that you guys are showing us on stage that we need to see. And we thought, huh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, more recently we traveled with Douglas Murray and I did the Q&A with both Jordan and Douglas Murray, and that was really fun. Uh, Jordan and Douglas Murray played off one another, and I just asked questions. And uh, it was a kind of a nice change. But when we went through Canada and we went to Alberta, where you saw us, we were still just doing it, just Jordan and I. And we may do that some more, but I think we'll probably invite other people to come along too and change it up a little bit. Uh, you know, because we've been on tour now for, I don't know, four years or something, like quite a long time. And we really live on the road, which is another thing we, we learned. Uh, when we first went out on tour after we'd both been really sick, Jordan was still pretty sick when we started on tour. And, uh, and then he started getting sicker and sicker. So he was feeling worse and worse. And we were in Detroit, which is very close to... Toronto. I said, I'm going home. I've had enough. I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't watch you suffer so much and not know what's going on or any way to help you. And I'm, I'm just going home. So I went home and 
I was at home and I was thinking, you know, I really like to be on tour. I really liked what we were doing. But he was so sick that I couldn't stand to be there and, and witness all of that. And I just said in a kind of a prayer, but not really, what do I have to do to go back on tour so that I can do it? And I heard a voice say, get your own hotel room. And I thought, get my own hotel room. I thought my husband won't be very happy if I get my own hotel room. Uh, so I called a friend that I trust. And I said, uh, my higher power told me to get my own hotel room. And she said, yeah, good idea. Get your own hotel room. So I phoned our assistant and I said, book my own rooms from now on on the tour. And I went back on tour. And at first when I got there, Jordan was like, you're going to get your own hotel room. Well, at first he wasn't quite sure, but he trusted me. And uh, we started having separate rooms and I started doing my podcasts again, which I wasn't doing because we were sharing a room and he had podcasts. So I'd just be quiet while he was having his podcast. And in the mornings I would get up first because he works later than me. He has a meet and greet. So I go to bed early, earlier than him. I'd get up in the dark and I'd sneak out with my rosary to pray like in the hallway. Now I had my own room. I'd open the blinds pray, schedule podcasts, uh, do my exercises. I was doing Pilates and I have to do, I had so much surgery on my abdomen with getting my kidney and my lymph out and all of that. And I had two surgeries because they didn't find really what was wrong with me until the second one. So I have scar tissue. And if I don't do Pilates, I start to get that scar tissue pulls you around, right? So, but if it doesn't, I feel fine. So I have to do my exercises and I wasn't doing, or if I was doing my exercises, I was doing them like in the bathroom on a porcelain floor kind of thing because he was sleeping and I didn't have any space or I was doing it. We were driving in a bus and I did Pilates on the bed while it was moving. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, um, you know, when, when I think about it, I'm like, oh man, that must be, like my my initial reaction to it, Tammy, is like it's got to be really tough. I wouldn't want my wife, you know, in a different room. I I just I immediately go like, oh, I want my wife in the room with me, you know. But you think about it, you did say, and I think if I'm uh, remembering correctly, that you've been on the road now for four years. It's like so, yeah. you know. I say that, and then I go, yeah, but my wife and I love having a little bit of time apart, right? <laughs> and you go like four years on the road. I I don't I don't even know where to begin with that. You know, like, the, uh, I don't know if a human being was ever uh, put together to deal with being on the road for four years and then to try and, uh, you know, jump the hurdles that come with it. And I'm sure you have many a hurdle uh, that, that comes with being on the road all the time. I, I didn't even, you know, but it's still as a married couple and just sitting here on this side, my initial reaction is like, oh, that I don't want that. But, you know, you, you, you talk about all the different things that are going on. Um, a little bit of space probably hurts no one because, I mean, I don't know if there's a single person out there that, you know, they're married couple, I mean, where, you know, like eventually you just need you just need to go to the living room, the basement, out out in the garage. I mean, uh, <laughs> except you have space. And uh, on the road, I assume space is a, well, that's a little different. It's a little different. And our uh, we go, we arrive in the city on the airplane. We go have a rest, go for dinner, do the show, go to sleep, get up in the morning, have breakfast and fly out. So sometimes 
we'd have enough time to go for a walk in the morning. And so that would be our time together that wasn't organized and public, right? So even, even our dinners, often our dinners are with lots of people because we're not just, we're not just traveling around on a book tour. We're trying to listen to people in each city, in each country, to find out what's going on there and what are their concerns. And you, I'm sure that you're aware of this ARC conference yes. that just happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that came out of the time that we were traveling because we had dinners often with 8, 12, 20 people every night in different places. Where do you find... I'm, I'm, I don't mean to pry, but I, I guess I'm going okay. to. Uh, where do you find quiet time then to be with Jordan? Or maybe I should flip it, where he finds time to be with you. That's a good question. I've been thinking about how to talk about that. And, I've, and I have a theory. I, I don't claim to know what I'm talking about, but I have a theory. <laughs> so... Uh, so I have my own room and he has his own room and now we have our own rooms at home too, because this has worked really, really well. And we didn't see it coming. I mean, God told me to get my own hotel, hotel room. It wasn't my, my idea, but we're paying attention. And so this is what we did. And I've been thinking about the Bible and how everybody is always up in arms about the fact that it says that, uh, a woman should serve her husband. So I've been thinking about that and what that really means. And in our uh, experience now, and it's been three years probably that we've been since, since I was really sick, because I was sick in 2019, right? So it's four years. I guess it's been more like four, five, six, seven years we've been on tour, so a long time. Um, I think, so this is what I think. <laughs> I think that a man, if, if you're not sharing a room, if you're not sharing a room, then in our experience, uh, Jordan would come to see me in the morning. He comes to say hello. And, uh, and we have a cuddle, right? And it's good. It's good because you're not sharing your room. You kind of miss each other. Yeah. Right? So then... So you, so you genuinely say, hi, and uh, I'd like some human contact. I'd like some contact, uh, some physical contact even. And uh, so then, so he comes to see me in the morning and that's all good. And that happens maybe say, say four times in the week. And then it gets to a point where I want to go see him, but that doesn't happen every day. Every day he wants to come and see me. And I want to go see him maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe one and a half times a week. Like not as often as he wants to come to see me. So I think when he comes to me, that's good. It's connection. But when I go to him, that's me getting on my knees and saying, I want to be with you. And that's profound. And I think that's a woman serving her husband. I think it's actually the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the necessity of 
being together intimately that brings a woman to the man, but it has to be her that comes to him for it to be uh, really true. I, I don't know why. I don't know why, but it seems that way to me. So I don't know what you think of that. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, there's a lot to think about there, to be honest, you know, um, uh, I married a, a, a woman, amazing woman, you know, uh, we got three young kids. It's busy. She's, um, uh, very, does very well in her career. So it's, it's not like it's busy. And she has success, mm -hmm. and I want her to have success, and all these other things. Uh, but when uh, you're talking about intimacy in 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 general, um, it's I don't I don't even I, from a man's standpoint, it's always better when the woman is the one facilitating. I I can almost like I don't know. That's my perspective. It's like that makes uh, I don't know how to put it in philosophical terms, other than just. That makes sense to me. That, that yeah, makes sense. It, it does. Yeah. And it yeah. makes sense that Jordan would want to come every morning, uh, like come towards you every morning and be like, hey, I just yeah. I just want to hug you. I just want to, yeah. like, I, I think about uh, not having Mel in bed every night. And I, you know, like every once in a while, I, sure, to spread out and like have a full bed. Yeah. Awesome. This is amazing. But every night? No, I'd be pretty sad about that. I, I would I would genuinely be sad about that. I'd, I'd feel lonely at nights is what I think uh, uh, would happen. Now, in saying that, um, our life is completely, and I would say 90, what, 9% of people's lives are completely different than Tammy and Jordan. Like, um, you know, when you're on the road, I, I, I just, that's got to be, um, like the spotlight has got to be fun for a bit. But eventually, you know, it'd be probably nice to go home have a, a a morning routine that you've worked on for how many years you know like there has to be things that you've been getting pounded with on the road that you hadn't had to contemplate up until all this has been going on you, but now you're saying seven years like for seven years now and you getting sick jordan being sick your daughter and all the health problems that have come through uh with michaela and on like you guys have uh, really seen some i don't know tribulations of epic proportion almost yeah, you know, people had talked about when Jordan and I were sick and we got, I was, I was very, very sick for about six months, I think. I haven't really thought about it, but not that long. Jordan was pretty deathly sick for three years, like a long time. So he, he really suffered like tremendously for a long time. And uh, people have, have, have uh, said to me, oh, we think that you, and Jordan were suffering from a spiritual warfare, which I have, hmm, which I'm, I think I have a book on it now. I haven't read it yet, but. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you think? Uh, of? Well, it was, it was pretty profound, you yeah. know, we were really sick. It was pretty profound. So I don't know. Do you believe could in spirit? Be, Tammy, do you believe be? in spiritual yes. warfare? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. I think that's what we're suffering from right now. I would, in the world. I would agree. Yeah, uh, and I think more people are agreeing now, I hope. Yeah. Uh, uh, on this side, you know, when I first started this podcast, you rewind the clock to 20, um, I want to say it was 2018. Oh, it's right around that time frame. Um, 
we stumbled on this guy named Jordan Peterson. He'd had this interview with Kathy Newman, and you watched it, and you went, what is, like, this is, like, what? You know, and then you read his book, and, and on and on it went. But when I first started this podcast, I interviewed, you know, you be, coming from Alberta, you, you'd know the names of Glenn Sather and Don Cherry and Ron McLean and all these hockey people. That's what I, that's what I was. And mm-hmm. then COVID hit, and I didn't want to talk about COVID. I really, 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 really didn't want to talk about COVID. Let's just move on, can we? And it wouldn't. And I mean, here in Canada, we went to La La Land. And at times, we're still there. And so, eventually, I relented. And doctors, lawyers, professors, etc., etc., etc. And it okay. has led me to, which I, can, I still have a hard time putting it enough into words, but it led me to faith. And I'm like, of all the places to walk you towards, why is that it? And yet, now I sit here... And uh, the toughest days I've had, you know, when you talk to um, people who read the Bible in particular, they go, oh, you're just in the middle of spiritual warfare. And then the more you start reading about it, and the more you start praying and reading the Bible, the more you start to see it, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, why Why is it the Western world has forgotten all about this? We've just forgotten where we've come from. Yeah, I think, well, decadent, you know, we, we're, we've been pretty well taken care of, right? That's Our fair. infrastructure is there for us. Our food is there for us. Uh, everything is there for us. And so we've got complacent and uh, lazy, and uh, God doesn't like that. <laughs> would, he doesn't like that. Would you say complacency and maybe even laziness leads you away from God then? Well, that's sloth. That's right? sloth, that's yeah. Sloth, that, that's a sin. <laughs> So, yeah, it's funny. It's and it's something so easy. You wouldn't think that little easy thing would pull you away from faith. Oh, yeah, but it does for sure. You've had it for sure. It does. Yeah, you've had an interesting, you know. um, It's been really interesting to to listen um, to your interviews, you specifically, because you talk so much about your journey in faith. I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about it with, uh, you know, at the start, I think you were leading down the road of how you, how sick you got. Um, yeah. And I think that leads into your faith, and I could be wrong. Um, it does. No, it for, for certain would you, it does. Would you, mind, would you mind sharing it with everybody? And, and no, take as long as, or as short as you want, Tammy. Yeah. Well, you know, the, both, both Jordan and I got very, very sick. But I got, he was probably starting to show some symptoms before me, but they weren't, mm, he could handle them still. But by the, when I got sick, then I had surgery for renal cell carcinoma, which the doctor said, ah, you can have surgery whenever you want. This doesn't kill anybody. It's just, it's kidney cancer, but it's treatable. And so it grows one millimeter a year. It never kills anybody. Okay, fine. So then we finished our tour and I went for surgery and I it was March of 2019 and I had surgery and they took out half my kidney and my mother-in-law came to take care of me and my sister. And I have a sister who's a nurse, a palliative care nurse, and a sister-in-law who was a, was a nurse. And my mother-in-law was trained as a nurse. So I have all these nurses all over and they're wonderful people and they came to take care of me. And I got better. And But about a month into it, I got a kind of a pain in my back in my flank and I was going seeing the surgeon you know for uh, my follow-up and I mentioned I had flank pain 
and he noted it. And then he called me and he asked me to come into the office and he said, um, and his hands were shaking. He was handing me pieces of paper. The doctor, sign. the doctor's hands are shaking. Yeah. The doctor's hands were shaking. Oh, that's not good. No, that's not good. Right. And I said, uh, he said, so we thought you had renal cell carcinoma, but it turns out, uh, through the biopsy, we found out that actually you have something that's much more lethal and you're going to die in 10 months. Uh, and there's no treatment because no one lives. We, we diagnose this cancer posthumously. Uh, people die and then we find out that's what they died from. So it just, it just goes through your body like crazy and you die. And uh, we found it's, it's in your lymph and we need to do surgery again right away. But there's no chemo, there's no radiation, there's no, there's no treatment. And I, I went to the States, I went to MD Anderson's cancer uh, hospital in Houston. They said, there's no, there's nothing we can do. And I went to San Francisco University of San Francisco to the oncology department there. They said, no, there's nothing we can do. Uh, if you have a surgeon and your surgeon is qualified, that's as good here as it is there. It's just go home. Just go home and have surgery. So I, I went home and uh, um, I went to tell my son what my prognosis was. And I guess this was right after I went to the doctor. I went home to the neighborhood and my son lived at the end of the street. And uh, I looked at him and I said, so uh, I went to the doctor and turns out that I have a, I have 10 months to live. And I saw in his eyes real grief, you know. Um, I saw a child's love for his mother as a profound love. Yeah. And it was a love that was nothing compared to the love I had for myself. I just didn't, it, it, I had no, I didn't have the love for myself that would save my life. But when I saw him and his grief, something in me recognized that I was worthwhile saving. Because before that, I had just said, said oh, I'm going to die. Like, you know, my mom's dead. My aunts are dead. My uncles are dead. Maybe I'm going to die too. But it was really cynicism and self-doubt that was guiding me at that point. And I felt those things lift off my shoulders and I felt the Holy Spirit come into my body. And I said to my son, you know what? These doctors, they have a, they have an opinion, but they're not God. They don't, only God knows when I'm going to live or die. And it was a real change of heart for me because I had always been a very independent and self, self-guided person. My dad taught me to be, you know, when I was a teenager, he would just stop me. He'd say, you're going out tonight. Don't do anything stupid and come home tonight. And that was, that was the guidance I got was don't be stupid, figure out your life and make it work. And so I had a, and we all did in my family, we were all very independent people and we all uh, did what we thought was right along the way, but we never were taught that there was a God up above that had us in his hands 
and that when we needed help, he would be there for us. We were never taught that. But at that moment, I realized that I was in God's hands and that it was his decision whether I lived or died. And there was, for me, all there was, was uh, I could be of service to my son. I could love him. I could love my family. I could accept care and let the chips fall where they would. And so that's how I began to live my life after that moment. And then when I was in the hospital, a woman came to me. She was kind of an acquaintance. I didn't know her well, but she's Catholic. And uh, she converted to Catholicism in her first year of university. They went to Rome and she, she converted to Catholicism there. And she devoted herself to, uh, to Catholicism since then. And she came over when Jordan had first, when, when everybody got to know who Jordan was. And she was working on trying to save the school systems in Canada. Uh, she was working with a politician and asked if Jordan could be of some help. So that's when I met her. But I didn't know her at all. Now and then she left a, a can of maple syrup on our doorstep or something. She was nice. Right? <laughs> she was the nice. The most Canadian thing in the world. <laughs> Leaving Isn't a it? can of, yeah, maple syrup. It's funny. On this side, I've had a bottle of maple syrup shipped from Ontario to Alberta. <laughs> so, yes, that is about as Canadian as it gets. Isn't it? Yeah. So then she emailed me uh, once I'd had my surgery. And the surgery went fine, but I had a complication that wasn't fine, that, that put me in the hospital again. So I had a, they'd taken out all my lymph on one side and the lymph is like a spider web in your body. And so there was a, a leak where they, they hadn't actually cauterized uh, maybe just one of the little branches, but they couldn't find it. And I'm not surprised. I, I don't even know how they find anything in there. Uh, so they put me in the hospital because I had, <laughs> well, first of all, they, I was filling up with fluid, you know, about a month after, or maybe, no, my sister said it wasn't a month. She said it was just maybe a week or 10 days after I'd had this second radical surgery where they took out all my lymph and my kidney. Uh, my feet started to swell. I thought, oh, what's going on? My feet are swelling. And then my lower legs swelled. And then my thighs swelled. And I was like, whoa. What's going on? So we phoned the hospital and they said, you know, you had radical surgery and you're going to have some swelling. And we're like, yeah, okay. Hmm. This doesn't seem very good. So then I went to the doctor and he looked at me and he said, oh, you better go to emergency uh, and get in the hospital right away. So I got in the hospital and they siphoned off nine liters. Nine liters? Nine, more than they'd ever siphoned off of any bun. I was, my body fluids were leaking into my interstitial fluid they were just leaking right into my and filling me up i was just going to fill up and drown that's really what my destiny was and i thought i guess that's well i don't know that's a, is, i have to meditate on that more the the uh kind of like the dream understanding of what that means but i was definitely drowning and uh they put a they put a, like a siphon in my belly and siphoned off nine liters of fluid. And then they left the uh, spigot there. And I had a bag on the side of my body sure. and the nurse would come every day and take a liter off 
wasn't comfortable though because it was it was I had such a, a large amount of fluid that it was it was like I was pregnant the whole time. I had so much fluid in my belly and in my lower and you know I I feel pretty good now. I have a little bit of altered sensation in my foot and I have a little bit of pain in that on that side on the left side in my leg. But I can imagine that I went through I mean, who knows, they may have nicked a nerve in my back or all that fluid in my legs might have messed up some of the uh, blood vessels and stuff in my legs. So it's not surprising that I might have a little bit of weirdness, but actually I'm, I'm good. So I had this bag that hung off me and I laid in bed most of the time and I was supposed to not eat any fat because the lymph system takes the fat out and the thing is you know with this carnivore diet you lose a lot of weight did you notice you're losing weight yes yeah okay so the body this is what we think uh if you're eating things so plants plants have poisons in them if they had legs they would run away they don't have legs so they have poison in them so that they're not eaten right animals have legs they run away Plants have poisons in them. If they had legs, they'd run away. That's kind of what I think about plants now. They're, they're not happy to be eaten. That's not what they're here for. They're here to have little baby plants and flourish. You know, that's what they're here for. So they, they have these poisons in them and animals know not to eat them. Some animals, you know, if they can't eat them, they don't. But we just eat everything because we think we're omnivores. We can just eat whatever we want. So the body, the lymph, siphons out that fat, the toxins in the fat, because that's where the toxins go. They go, the body stores them in fat. And so that's when people get obese, it's that there's so many toxins that the body is trying to store that they have put on lots and lots of weight, but it's because they're eating something that their body can't tolerate. And if they stop eating it, then all that fat goes away again because then they can get rid of all the toxins. And I think, you know, our bodies do pretty well when we're little. Some, some people get fat right away because they can't tolerate it at all. But some of us stay pretty healthy till we're 37 or so. Well, you just, and, you just think the body's <laughs> an amazing thing to put in all, yes. you know, to, not even just plant, just take the, take all the vegetables and all the plants you want replace that with all the mcdonald's and and fast foods that we all have eaten because i remember being yeah. like 16 first time i'm in high school get to go up for lunch where are you going mcdonald's and you're getting like like just so much crap and yet you were just so happy and the the body is just this amazing thing that takes absolute junk and turns <laughs> it into things i mean like yeah I, I i was an at i don't i watch athletes now with all their nutritionists and everything else i'm like man I can't imagine if I had some of that when I was when I was back as a kid. You know, I tell this story all the time, Tammy. Dustin and I, my older brother and a friend, we biked across Canada. So we left Newfoundland and we biked on pedal bikes to Vancouver. Oh, wow. And when I got to Calgary, I saw some of my high school friends. And one of my buddies went, I thought you'd be thinner. And it was such a, just like a gut ha. shot. I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, I've just biked three quarters of the country and that's what you're gonna say okay so for the next uh, uh it took seven days from calgary 
to Vancouver, if memory serves me correct. And I lost 11 pounds in seven days, and all I did was change out. I ate no fries. Just That's the only change I made. <laughs> One mm-hmm. one thing, and now I've of course listened to a bunch on it, and and uh, uh, the oils and everything else. But it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You listen to your body, and you change out little things. It can have crazy effects. And I always come back to the body's just this amazing factory that takes junk and does a lot of great things. But you're right. Over time, it adds up. Over time, it adds up, and eventually, then you can't tolerate it, tolerate it anymore. Now. But I got cancer. So why did I get cancer? Mm. That's that's an interesting and a really lethal cancer. Like why did I get a really lethal And this is in so, 2019 when you get the cancer? Is, yeah, 2019 in March I had surgery and then in May I had a second surgery. Mm. And then until August I was leaking. From May until August I was leaking. And then in August, well, and of course my husband was just he was there in the hospital with me all the time. We were playing cards while I laid in bed. It's got a um, way. It's got a you know, uh, uh, man. Uh, as a married <laughs> couple, there's got to be certain things that weigh heavy on you. That'd be one, right? Oh yeah, that'd be one. Yeah. Uh, luckily, this friend of mine came and introduced me to the rosary, and she used to come to the hospital when I was finally put in the hospital. I was given a TPN diet where I was fed into my heart okay to try to to try to let the lymph rest to fed, hopefully f- fed directly fed. into your heart yeah yeah right in right into the carotid artery oh man I'm... like right right in right in i don't know exactly right into the isn't that wild it, into the system yeah it's wild but you know people live like that there was a surgeon at the hospital who has been living like that for 25 years. And so he, when he goes to bed at night, he, he plugs himself in and he doesn't eat all day. He works all day. He, his body's given nutrition at night through. So that's how I was, that, it was wild. That so is I didn't wild. eat anything. I didn't eat anything for five weeks, five weeks. Didn't eat a thing for five no, weeks. No, nothing. Mm-mm. No, I had this diet that it was going right into my system. So I had this diet, I had the bag that was holding the fluids and then the bag that was feeding me. Man, you like you must have felt like a <laughs> guinea pig at this point, right? Like I mean, you can't catch a break, Tammy. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty intense. But I would go down at 10 in the morning with my friend Queenie, Queenie you, and pray the rosary every morning at 10 and set my set myself right, you know, I would uh pray for i'd pray for all the elderly and then i'd pray for all the babies that have been aborted or i'd pray for all the people who are dying in wars and i'd pray you know so i'd do all my prayers and uh and i'd talk about how i missed my how i was going to miss my family and stuff if things didn't go very well for me and then i'd go up to my room and my husband would be there and my son would be there and we'd play cards and, uh, but I was peaceful because I didn't let myself worry. I prayed, I'd wake up in the night and I only weighed 90 pounds. So I'd lost 30, 30 pounds, uh, because I wasn't getting any nutrition that was just going into my, you're literally getting space. fed into your heart. Well, once I got fed into my heart, I woke up and I kind of had some energy, Really, but 
yeah, it actually, then I finally got some food in my system. But if I ate, it went into my lymph. It went into my oh. digestive system and it drained and into it drained my And it drained out. Right, it drained out so it wasn't getting to my cells. So I was getting weaker and weaker and thinner and thinner. And then finally they put me in the hospital and gave me food into okay, my... Okay, okay. Yeah. So then it got somehow, it, it didn't go to my intestines. My te- intestines were no longer working. It would go straight to my heart because, you know, if you eat, it goes all through there and then that's given to your heart and then it's distributed to the extremities. So they just, they just bypassed the system and put it right to the heart. Yeah. And then it took three days and I woke up. I thought, oh, wow, now I'm awake. I mean, I was kind of awake, but I was kind of not awake because I didn't have enough uh, nutrition. I was, I was starving to death really, because I wasn't getting any nutrition. It was leaking out into my spaces and not going to my cells. So I was losing more and more weight. I took pictures of myself. My my shoulder blades stuck out and my bum was gone. My breasts were gone. My cheeks were gone. Like I was, all I had was a belly full of fluid. Oof. <laughs> Yuck. It was pretty pretty horrendous. And, but I didn't feel horrendous. I felt, I felt the peace that God gives you. That's Mm -hmm. what I felt. And that's all I felt. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'd prayed the Lord's prayer. I wouldn't let myself worry. I slept with a hot water bottle and all sorts of wool on and a comforter and everything because I was, I had no body fat. I was freezing to death. So I'd get myself warm at night, but I'd wake up and then I'd just pray and I'd go to, then they'd scan me and scan me and scan me trying to find this leak. And it was cold down where they have all those scanning machines in the hospital. They keep it very cold because there's just full of machines. And so I'd go down there dressed in all this wool and they would, you know, do whatever they had to do with me. And I would just pray. I'd pray through everything and if i prayed it didn't hurt even something things that hurt tremendously (laughs) i prayed and it didn't hurt i could the prayers stopped the pain and they stopped me from worrying about what might happen or what is happening or i didn't worry at all and i continue to do that so last night i found out that my dad he's 93 he's taken a turn for the worse and so sorry to, hear sorry from, to hear that yeah thank you um i just went to see him so i i just came from his house just over a week ago uh, but he lives on vancouver island and i live in toronto so i'm the only one who's away my brother and my two sisters they all live together in the same town on vancouver island uh, and my sister is a palliative care nurse as i said mm-hmm. so she's she's really t- been very she's taken care of of him uh largely but he's in a nursing home now has only been there since christmas last christmas anyway so last night so i found this out yesterday after last night i found this out last evening just before i went for dinner and it made me sad for sure it made me sad because uh 
he might he might have had he, he I think he had another little TIA like a small stroke. He's had a number of them, and he wasn't eating or drinking. And so my sister said, you know, maybe we'll stop giving him all his meds and we'll see if he eats or drinks over the next few days. And if he doesn't, then maybe he's not going to rally again. But we're not going to do anything to try to make him rally because he's 93 years old and we've decided and he's decided that life has been good and he's had a good life. But it's time to let God do whatever it is that he wants for my dad. And so we're all in agreement on that. But I went to bed last night. Of course, I woke up in the middle of the night. And I prayed. <laughs> I prayed the Lord's Prayer and I prayed, prayed the Hail Mary. And I learned something about the Hail Mary this week that I'd like to share with you. Sure. So the, the little bit of it where you repeat Hail Mary 10 times. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. That's the first part of the prayer. And if you're praying it with someone, they pray that part. And then you pray the last part. So then you say, Jesus, Holy Mary, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. So that's the prayer. But if you say this prayer yourself, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death. And so you might think that womb Jesus goes together, and then Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. You're just saying Holy Mother, but you're not. You're saying the, the stop is before Jesus. It's Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Because this is this is Mary through Jesus. This is a this is a prayer. It's called the uh, Holy uh, Rosary. And so you're praying to Mother Mary, but you're praying to Mother Mary through Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people have trouble with the the rosary because they think that you're just praying to mother mary but you're not she's an inter she's a she's just intercession she's she's just the like a stepping stone to jesus that's what she is mm -hmm. and so this prayer is just it's just another step to help people up towards jesus christ and that that's what all these things are that people do oh that's what the beads are for it's it's a stepping stone to help you to attend to what you're doing to each prayer as you count them. They're just stepping stones to help you be closer to Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to share that with you because I just learned that recently. So that's what I did last night. I prayed the Lord's Prayer and the uh, Holy Rosary Prayer all night long from like 3.30 till 5 in the morning or something. And when I got up this morning, I was joyous and free again, even though my dad's dying. So prayer is an, a remarkable thing. I find it a remarkable thing. It is. It brings me peace when you don't think that there's any peace to be had. I actually dreamed last night that 
that angels were taking my dad to heaven. <laughs> that was good. It was good. <laughs> the thing that the thing that baffles me about prayer, Tammy, just mm-hmm. baffles me. Mm-hmm. Is as a young man, a uh, young teenager, let's say, uh, somewhere between ten and fourteen, I can remember trying to pray, mm-hmm. and I I don't know, but I don't know. I just like I don't know, like right, right, like I I don't know, right, and then <laughs> and then I hit. Hmm, I want to say thirty six. I'm gonna say thirty six. So a year ago, maybe a little. I think it's somewhere in my 36th year. And I prayed, and it was like immediate. And the thing that baffles me the most about it is why can other people, when they pray at younger ages, because I've talked to a lot of them, they're like, like 10, oh, I know, or at 18, at 22, at 27, at 30. Sean's got to wait till 36. And others have to wait until they're well past Sean. I'm not, I'm not you know, that's baffling to me. Because it's either, well, I, I, I guess it's baffling to me. Why is it, when I listen to your story, I, I, I don't fully get everything because uh, each of us have our own paths to walk towards, as you know, you've so eloquently put it, with Jesus Christ. But I understand the, now the path where I'm walking towards. I'm like, okay, all right, that makes sense. But I don't understand why, I, why did I have to wait until I was 36? Why, why couldn't it have been 20? Why, or, mm-hmm. or maybe I should be thankful it isn't 55. You know, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> that's probably the most, that's right. So when I was 17, I went skiing in uh, the northern uh, Rocky Mountains. Powder King, it was called Powder King, and it's up around Dawson Creek or, you know, up there. Because I was in, from Fairview. In in the north, yes. You're, you're, a, you're a rural girl, I I am a rural girl. That's for sure. I was from a town of 2000 people and there was nothing around really till Edmonton and it was six hours away. Yeah. So yeah. It's it it's a, one thing probably in your travels when people are like, well, we got to drive an hour. You're like, yes. Yeah, uh, what are we complaining about? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it when we, we flew to the Netherlands and we were going to drive to Germany and we accidentally turned left and we were in Denmark. <laughs> You know, it's it's, one, it's so small. It's yes, so small. Yes. Sorry. Compared to Canada. Canada's I, huge. I get, you know, I just, uh, I, 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 ah, Canada. Love Canada. Anyways, sorry. Uh, the prayer thing. Um, uh, I didn't uh-huh. mean to cut you off. Oh, well, you, you didn't cut me off. So we were talking about, what were we talking about exactly? Well, I was <laughs> just saying, like, it's, it's, it's really baffling to me, the prayer. Like, why is it certain people at 18, oh, yeah, right. 20, oh, and yeah. you were mentioning a story when you were 17? Oh yeah. So when I was 17, I was skiing. Oh yeah. Skiing at powder, skiing at, actually I was skiing at sunshine in, just outside of Banff in the Rocky mountains. And I was with my family. We went there at Christmas for a couple of years. It was just absolutely stunning. Um, and, but there was one mountain that you came down and if you weren't going fast, you had to kind of go, and you know, all the way to the, all the way to the chairlift. And I didn't want to do that. So I was coming down really fast and I was going to glide up to the chairlift, you know, and I was with my sister, my older sister, and she was ahead of me. And I heard, and we went over this little hill. It was like the last little hill before it was going to be flat. And I heard her scream 
when, when she went over the hill, which kind of primed me. But when I came over the hill, I saw a big rock and it was, it was about as long as a piano and about as high as me. So it was a big rock. And I saw my life flash before my eyes. But when I opened my eyes, I was by the rock and I never skied for seven years. It just scared my living daylights out of me. But I didn't come to God then. That was a good chance for me to give up my self-will and to decide that there was someone else running the show besides me. But that wasn't enough. You know, I, I, was, I had a boyfriend, I think when I was 15 or 16, where we were in his car. He was a motorcycle mechanic. He was kind of a wild guy. Anyway, we were going to turn into our hometown. We're at the approach. We're sitting there. And there was a semi-trailer truck coming down the highway. And he turned right in front of that truck. And I didn't, we didn't get hit, but I didn't have any kind of understanding that my life was saved by God. It wasn't my time or anything. I just thought, ooh, that was close. And another time I was driving, it was dusk in northern Alberta and dusk goes till midnight. So it goes all night, really, because it doesn't get dark in the summer in June, you know. So I was driving on one of these roads coming from a little town in the north down to Fairview and I was listening to music and driving along and all of a sudden I went over an approach that I, I hadn't seen maybe there was no stop sign there should have been a stop sign anyway I didn't see it and I like and the side roads are kind of lower and the the highways are always higher so you come up to the highway. Well, I flew over the highway and I turned and there were headlights right there. So the, the car that I, so I came up and there was a car there and it went by as I flew. It must have just seen a blur. And that never brought me to God, even though I had to pinch myself because I was sure that I was going to be dead then. And I wasn't, that didn't bring, so I don't know. It's like I had to go through this terrible cancer diagnosis to bring me to God. I think he just he keeps giving you challenges. He keeps giving you challenges. He's like, how about this? He starts out, you know, kind of gently. Sometimes he starts out with a punch, but, you know, he starts out and he gives you something. How about this? What about that? What What is, what is it that's going to wake you up? to the fact that you are not in control. You are not in the driver's seat. It's up to you to serve. It just takes some of, and some of us never get the chance. We get, we die. But for some reason, I got to live. And so I prayed to God that I would speak publicly. So here I am talking to you. Well, I appreciate you being, uh, coming on. And uh, I just, I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I never love watching the time, but now I'm looking up. I'm going, oh man, we've we've gone over, and uh, I don't want to. I, I want to make sure I'm I'm very uh, cognizant of of uh, you being willing to to hop on this side and do this. Uh, I would appreciate it, Tammy, if you'd come back on at some point because I'm like, oh man, I have so many questions, and uh, and you know, it's you just getting a you're just getting a conversation warmed up almost, and uh, if yeah, you're willing, I think it's fun to talk 
more than once because you just kind of get to know each other the first time. Yes. Well, I, I, I would, yeah. well, I tell you what, we'll talk off air about it, uh, of whether or not I can have you come back on this side or, or the next time you're in Alberta, come in the studio. Cause in person, as we oh, both know, fun. it would be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, I'm going to kind of leave it as a cliffhanger. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I, I just, my brain is like running right now. And, uh, I'm going to go, no, we're going to end it here so I can get you out of here a little late, but hopefully on time. And um, the next time uh, we'll, we'll carry on because, man, I I found this very fascinating. It has uh, lived oh, up. Thank you. Lived up Thanks maybe, for the invitation. Yeah, lived up to maybe an expectation I wasn't sure I'd put on it. Um, but uh, appreciate you coming on and doing this and, and being so gracious with your time this morning. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, um I think the more that we talk, the more people will not be listening to the crazy voices on social media because there's some there's some crazy voices on social media that are trying to do us all in. And so we need some real straight talk and we need people to be brave enough to, to speak up. So well, thank you for the invitation. Yes, and I look forward to the next time. Th- thank you once again, Tammy. Bye-bye. Take care.